college campus, and there were not many non-believers there, and so I wasn't sure exactly what to do, but I came up with a plan. And so one morning, I woke up early, and I went to the local donut shop, and I knew that there were a group of migrant workers, uh, mostly from Mexico, that would stand on the side of the road, and they were waiting for someone to pick them up for a day's work, and so my plan was to go get some donuts and then go to that group of migrant workers and try to share the gospel with them. And I remember being quite nervous as I walked into the group of migrant workers, and I remember sensing that they were kind of nervous as well. They were wondering why a six-foot-four white guy was walking into the group early in the morning. They were probably wondering if the donuts I was trying to hand out were poisoned or if I was, you know, an agent of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement doing some kind of a sting operation. It was a little tense for a while, and no one would make eye contact with me. No one would talk with me. No one wanted any of my donuts. And I thought that, I thought that the plan was going to fail. But then finally, there was a young man who was, I guess, particularly courageous. He was probably just having pity on me. And so he took one of my donuts, and then in my best broken Spanish, I tried to share the gospel with him. And I think he understood what I was saying, and we talked a little bit, and uh, he listened politely. But, you know, he didn't, he didn't trust in Christ that day, and actually I, I never saw him again. But as I was going back to the college campus, I, I was, you know, trying to remember how I was feeling, thinking about this. I'm not sure I remember entirely, but I think it was probably a mixture of relief that it was over, and probably of joy, because sharing the gospel, if you're a believer, is a source of great joy. And so there was some joy that God had given me the opportunity to share the gospel that morning. So, you know, just from that experience, you can see in my own life anyways, evangelism can be quite intimidating, but it's really important, right? Because we have the very best news. We live in a world right now that is flooded with bad news. We live in a very broken, broken world. It's very much a, a sinking ship right now and always has been. And we have the best news possible, that there is a Savior and a King who's gracious and who loves sinners and who has come and died for them, that they might be rescued, that they might have life. And we possess that message. And what a privilege to be able to share that message with those that do not know Christ. But as we do so, we need to remember that we're dependent upon God. You know, sharing the gospel, is, it's the spiritual work, really. It's spiritual warfare. And we're not sufficient in and of ourselves to do it. We need God to give us his strength to share the gospel. You know, we need God to give us opportunities to share the gospel. We need God to give us courage when we see those opportunities to actually speak boldly for Christ. And we need God to help us, to give us clarity. And that's why we must be people who pray. And just pray in particular for the gospel and for the, for the, the opportunity to share it with others. That's really kind of at the heart of what you see in these verses, in verses 19 and 20 that we're going to focus on this morning. So we're continuing and almost finishing now the book of Ephesians. Lord willing, we will complete the book next week uh, as we've worked our way through this really over the past year. And for the past five weeks, we've been looking at this passage from verse 10 to 20. It's a wonderful passage. It teaches us about spiritual warfare. Uh, we saw in this passage the command that has been given to us to stand firm, kind of this central command that is given to us, right? Because Christ has won the victory, the task for us is to stand firm and to fight in light of the victory that has already been given to us. What good news to know that the victory is already won, right? So we're not fighting to achieve some great victory. Christ has won it. Now we're fighting in light of it, and that's very, very helpful. And we've seen that standing firm requires us to put on the whole armor of God, and we spent a lot of time thinking together about what that means, what it looks like to put on the armor of God. 
And then last week we talked about this issue of prayer because even if we even if we put on the armor of God, if we then walk forward in our own strength and think that somehow we're able to do spiritual warfare in our own power, we're going to fall flat on our face. And so we were reminded as we looked at verse 18 last week that we must be men and women who pray, asking God to strengthen us so that we would fight well. We need to be kind of surrounded, as it were, with prayer so that God would strengthen us to fight well. And now Paul is finishing this section this morning, and he goes to this topic of evangelism, which is sharing the good news of Jesus. Talk about that more. And notice that he's asking the Ephesian believers to pray for him. Now, specifically asking them to pray that he, the great apostle Paul, would be faithful to share the gospel. And it makes sense that Paul is kind of concluding this topic of spiritual warfare by talking about evangelism, because evangelism is an integral part of spiritual warfare. We haven't merely been called to stand firm. We have been called to stand firm, but we've also been called to make disciples so that God cares not only for us in this building, praise God, those of us who have trusted in Christ, but he cares for the lost who surround us. And we have the privilege and the opportunity of taking the very best possible news to them so that they might follow Jesus as well. So praise God for that. Praise God that we've been given this mission, but this really is a rescue mission in the context of a spiritual war. And so we must be men and women who pray, asking God to help us be faithful in our evangelism. Now, there's a lot in these two verses, as there always is in God's Word. We won't be able to say everything, but we do want to spend our time learning four truths that we see in these verses. So four truths about evangelism in particular. First, we're going to learn that in our evangelism, we should be dependent upon God. We'll see that as we look at verse 19. And then we're going to see in our evangelism, we are ambassadors of Christ. We'll see that in the first part of verse 20. And then we'll see in our evangelism, we must be willing to suffer. We'll see that in the second part of verse 20. And then we'll see in our evangelism, we should be bold. And we'll learn that. That's a real emphasis in this passage, that we should be bold. And we'll see that at the end of verse 20. So let's take your copy of God's word. Look with me, if you will, at verse 19. Let's look at that first truth together then. In our evangelism, we should be dependent upon God. Look at verse 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, again, in verse 18, Paul's just talked about the importance of prayer for spiritual warfare, encouraging these Ephesian believers to pray, to pray for themselves. And now at the first part of verse 19, notice that he turns and says, and by the way, as you're praying for yourself that you would be faithful in spiritual warfare, please don't forget to pray for me because I need God's help as well. And what did Paul want the Ephesian believers to pray for in particular? Well, look at the second part of verse 19. He's praying for the ability to rightly proclaim the gospel, to faithfully proclaim the gospel. He says, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That word boldly there was actually originally used of kind of the freedom of speech the citizens of ancient Greece had to speak their minds. The citizens of that nation, they were able to speak boldly and clearly when they came into an assembly. Over time, it came to refer to kind of a plainness, a plainness of speech that didn't pass over any details, but instead spoke courageously, spoke boldly. That's the kind of speech Paul wants to have. So notice, Paul's praying really for two things here. Now, first, he's praying for wisdom. He says that words may be given to me. He wants God to give him particular words of wisdom that he's able to speak the gospel clearly. And then he's praying for something that we all need, and that's boldness. He says that I may open my mouth boldly 
so that he would speak as he ought to speak, right? That's what he wants. He wants wisdom, and he wants boldness. Now, think about the context of where Paul is right now. All right, Ephesians is a prison epistle. Paul is in prison in Rome. He is going to stand before Nero, the emperor, and he's going to have to give an account for himself. Really, he's going to have to proclaim the gospel, and that must have been an intimidating prospect to look at because, of course, history has taught us that Nero was no friend of Christians. I'm sure Paul was tempted to be intimidated. I'm sure that Satan was at work in his life tempting him to fear in hopes that he would compromise. And so Paul, because he's a mature believer, he knows that he needs God's help. And so he prays and asks these, or he asks these Ephesian believers to pray for him. But then notice, and you'll kind of see this as you read through Paul's epistles, that Paul also wanted to be faithful during his imprisonment. So he's looking ahead to this one engagement, but then he doesn't want to waste any time as he has opportunities. He wants to share the gospel with others. He wants to be faithful to share the gospel with the Roman soldiers that were guarding him. And he did that. The Lord also brought a, a man named Onesimus into his life, who was Philemon's slave. And Onesimus became a Christian through Paul's witness, right? Because Paul wanted to be faithful. He wanted to be faithful in evangelism. He knew that he was dependent upon God for that. And so he asked the Ephesian believers to pray for him. Now, there's a lot we can learn from Paul's example here. But I want us to learn two truths, two things that we should note. First, Prayer is evidence of humility. We talked about that a little bit last week. I want to talk about it a little bit more. Think about who this is. This is the great Apostle Paul. I mean, if we think of the great Christians of the past throughout church history, Paul, is he stands almost alone in the sense of his courage and his boldness and his faithfulness. But notice, notice he wasn't arrogant or self-confident despite all that he had accomplished. Why? Because he knew that he was just a man. And he knew that Satan was stronger and smarter than he was. And he knew that if God didn't give him grace, just as Jesus taught his disciples, he would be able to accomplish absolutely nothing. And so this humble man, taught by God through decades of faithful service, asked these Ephesian believers to pray for him. John Stott put it this way, Paul was wise enough to know his own need of strength if he was to stand against the enemy and humble enough to ask his friends to pray with him and for him. So prayer is evidence of humility in Paul's life. And here's the thing, it's evidence of humility in our lives as well, right? So, do you regularly pray for yourself? I hope so. Do you regularly ask other people to pray for you? Are you so aware of your need? Are you so aware of the fact that apart from God's grace, you can do nothing, that it's a regular pattern of your life to ask others to pray for you? Well, if not, it's probably evidence of pride, right? None of us would ever say, we said this last week, but none of us would ever say out loud, you know, God, I don't need you. But when we don't pray, that's what we're saying to God, right? We're going through our days. Hey, God, I've got this. I'll let you know if I need you. I'll offer a prayer at that time if I get into trouble. No, you see, humility teaches us that, that we really can't do anything eternally significant unless God strengthens us. And so we must be people who pray, right? Prayer is evidence of humility. Second observation, our evangelism should be dependent upon God. So now Paul, this great example, shows us his dependence upon God for evangelism. He's asking God to give him wisdom. You know, the words, the words would be given to me, he says. And then he's asked for boldness, right? So that he would open his mouth boldly as he proclaimed the gospel. And in the same way, we should be dependent, just consciously 
aware of just how much we need God as we seek to share the gospel with others. You know, we need God to give us wisdom as we share the gospel, right? The right words based on whom we are sharing with. So if we're going to share the gospel with children, which we should, we should use simpler words. Yeah, if we're going to share the gospel with college students or with a, an agnostic you know, neighbor or relative, we're going to use more complex words. But in both cases, whether we're talking to a child or to some mature adult, we need God to give us the words to speak to that individual. We need God to guide our speech so that we would speak in a way that would bless and be useful in the life of that person. And just like Paul, we need God to give us boldness to proclaim the gospel, right? We need boldness. Now, in my own life, I don't know that there's ever been a time when I've had a chance to share, to share my faith, to share the gospel with someone when I was not intimidated and a little fearful and kind of wondering if I was going to be able to say things clearly or right, and perhaps you've experienced that as well. Why? Because Satan loves to intimidate. And when it comes to us sharing the gospel, he is particularly, particularly strong and in intimidating. He always wants to tell us, hey, hey, now's not the time. It's not a good opportunity yet. You need to get to know this person longer. Oh, have you thought about how he might think about this, right? He's constantly giving us reasons not to share the gospel with those that we know. Perhaps you've experienced that in your own life. Well, friends, God is able to give us the courage. We need to speak for him but we must seek him for that. So what does it look like to be dependent upon God? What does that look like? Well, we're seeing it in this passage. Friends, most especially, it looks like prayer, doesn't it? That we would be prayerful evangelists, right? As we're going out to share the gospel or we're in a conversation with someone and there's an opening for us to speak about Jesus, that's an opening for us to pray and to ask God to help us, to give us the words and to give us boldness so that we can preach Christ well. I like what J.I. Packer said about prayer. He said, the prayer of a Christian is not an attempt to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of helplessness and dependence. When we are on our knees, we know that it is not we who control the world. That's right. And so we should be humble and dependent. And that looks like prayer. So brothers and sisters, do you do that? Do you pray for opportunities to share the gospel? When you're in that kind of a conversation, are you praying and asking God for wisdom? I had a professor in seminary that taught our class. It was a class on evangelism. This prayer, I've shared it before, but I thought it'd be helpful to share again. Here's the prayer he taught us. Father, please give me opportunities to share the gospel this week. Give me eyes to see those opportunities and give me courage to take those opportunities. Amen. That's a good prayer, right? That's a, that's a God-dependent prayer. But I don't want to move on without asking this question, what is the gospel? Now, many of us grew up in church, part of Christ's fellowship. We talk about the gospel. We glory in the gospel. Paul calls it the mystery of the gospel, meaning it's something. This message used to be hidden, but now it's been revealed through the life and ministry of Jesus. So what is this gospel that Paul wanted help proclaiming, that needed God's help so that he would proclaim it well? Well, the gospel simply means good news. You know, if you're new to the church, if you're new to Christianity, perhaps reading the Bible for the first time, you might hear people talk about the gospel. You wonder what it is. Well, it's a word that means good news. Most especially, it's good news that God is a gracious God who loves sinners and has done everything necessary so that they can turn from their sins, trust in Christ, and have eternal life. You know, the Bible teaches some bad things about us. There's some bad news in the Bible, that we were created by God who loves us. 
Uh, he wanted us to love him and serve him. He wanted us to walk in relationship with him. He wanted us to kind of orient our lives around him as a source of all. And yet our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, they rejected God. They turned their back on him. They thought it would be better to live for themselves. And so they disobeyed his command. They thought that by disobeying his command, they would find freedom. They thought that they would become like God. But really, all they managed to do was to separate themselves from God, to separate themselves from the source of life. They fell, and we fell in them. We sinned in them, and because we came from them, we have all inherited that same sinful nature. And most especially, that sinful nature looks like this. It looks like shrinking the universe down to the size of me and orienting my life about me and trying to make myself happy and trying to make myself satisfied. And so we go through life continually negotiating with other people, always trying to get the best angle, always trying to get the best deal, always trying to make myself happy because that's what seems natural. But it's not natural. It's not the way we're, we were created. We were created to love God and serve him and love others. But sin has broken that. And because of that brokenness, because of that kind of fundamental selfishness that sin produces in us, all the brokenness you see in the relationships in the world, they all flow out of that. And sin is more serious still, because the most important relationship you have, friend, is your relationship with God. And you were born, listen, separated from him. You were born separated from him because of your sin. And the Bible says there's absolutely no way for you to be good enough for God. There's no good deed you can do or series of good deeds that you can do. There's no thing that you can say no to or resist that will somehow earn God's favor. Why? Because God is holy and we are not holy. And his standard is perfection. So that if we have sinned one time, we are lawbreakers. And as the holy judge, he will judge. He said that. So he's told us up front, there's no way that you can save yourself. So friend, don't try to save yourself. You are not surrounded this morning with a group of people who think that they are good enough and nice enough to go to heaven, you're surrounded by a bunch of broken people who have realized just how much we need Jesus. And that's the good news of the gospel. You see, the good news of the gospel is that the Father sent his Son into the world. The eternal Son of God came into this world as a babe. We're singing about this now. But to live a perfect life, to live the kind of life we should have lived, but we've all failed to live. He always loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He always loved his neighbor precisely the way he would want to be treated. And then when the time was right, this this one, this perfect one, lays down his life on the cross. No one could take his life away. Roman soldiers couldn't take his life away. He willingly laid it down on the cross as a sacrifice because it was God's plan to save sinners in that way. He died, and then he rose from the dead. And now, the Bible says, if you will turn from your sins and put your trust in Christ, in Christ alone, and what he has done you will receive Jesus as your Savior. You see, the very hope of Christianity, it's not some philosophy. It's not some, how do you live a good life? How do you be a nice person? It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. And the way to be saved is to put all of your hope in Christ, all of your hope in what he has done in his perfect life, in his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And now, friend, he invites you this morning, even now, trust in him, Friend, what are you living for? Do you think your work is going to give you eternal life? Eventually, you'll get too old to do it. Do you think a relationship will give you eternal life? Friend, death separates us from everything. But eternal life is offered to you freely this morning in Jesus. If you'd like to know more about that, we would have no greater joy 
than just to talk with you about what Christ has done for us or read the Bible with you or help you think through this good news, this gospel. This is what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to proclaim Christ. He wanted to put him forward because Jesus is the Savior. And so we would urge you this morning, put your trust in Christ. This is the good news. Receive this good news. All right, so we've seen now, looking at verse 19, that our evangelism should be dependent upon God. There's a second truth. In our evangelism, we are ambassadors of Christ. Look at the first part of verse 20. Paul continues, for which I am an ambassador. So here's Paul. He's speaking about his responsibility to proclaim the gospel, and he refers to himself as an ambassador for the sake of the gospel. So, well, what is an ambassador? Right, an ambassador is someone who goes out from a country who's been given the authority to speak on behalf of that country. An ambassador is someone who carries the authority of the nation that has sent him out or sent her out. And it's important to remember that the job of an ambassador is not to make up his or her own message. The job of the ambassador is to faithfully proclaim the message that has been entrusted to him or to her. And that's how Paul viewed his role as an ambassador of Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul didn't make up his own message. Paul didn't wander around and try to tell people about how they could have a happy and successful life. His ministry wasn't about giving them techniques for how to have success at the workplace or in the marriage or in the home. He had a message that was entrusted to him, and that message was Jesus Christ proclaiming him as the crucified one who saves sinners, who has power over death, the one who is gracious and willing to save. And that's what Paul did wherever he went. He proclaimed Christ. And notice that as Paul went out, he didn't speak from his own authority. He wasn't trusting in his own wisdom, he says explicitly in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But no, instead, he was trusting in God because he spoke with the authority of God because God is the source of this message. Now, brothers and sisters, I wonder if you've ever considered that you're also an ambassador of Christ. That you have been entrusted with this same message, that you have the same responsibility, right? God has entrusted you with the gospel. He wants you to share it faithfully. So what does it look like to be a faithful ambassador? Let's just think about that for a few minutes. First, being a faithful ambassador looks like sharing the message, right? If an ambassador is sent out with this important message and goes to the other nation and never shares the message, is that a good ambassador? Well, of course not. It's an unfaithful ambassador. But isn't it true that many Christians never share their faith. No, it is true. Now, that happens. You know, it, in, in some ways, it's tragic, and, and perhaps you found yourself there. I can certainly tell you that there have been seasons in my life where I have not shared the gospel in the way that I should have. So if you find yourself there this morning, it's been a while since you've been able to share your faith, what should you do? Well, what you shouldn't do is, is like go under this weight of despair. Right? That's what Satan wants you to do. What Jesus wants you to do is just to consider how precious Jesus is. Think about the goodness of this message and to pray for an opportunity to share, perhaps even this week, and then move forward asking God to give you grace to be a faithful ambassador, right? Because a faithful ambassador will share the message. Second, a faithful ambassador looks like sharing the message clearly. So an ambassador can go to the other nation, can have the message, can seek to share the message, but if the ambassador is unclear, or gets the message confused in such a way that the other party can't understand, well, the ambassador has failed. In the same way, brothers and sisters, we need to be clear on what the gospel is. 
We need to know this gospel message so that we can speak it clearly into the lives of others. More, more than that, notice what Paul's doing. He's saying he needs God to give him wisdom, to give him words, so that as he shares the gospel, he would share it clearly, and we have that same need. If we want to be faithful ambassadors, we must pray and ask God to give us clarity on how to proclaim this word, how we can speak it into the lives of this particular individual. Now, third, being a faithful ambassador looks like sharing the message boldly. So what would you think if one of our American ambassadors went to some small kind of island nation in the South Pacific and stood before their king and began to speak but was trembling and stammering and fearful? What would we think of that ambassador? We would be a little confused. We'd be a little concerned. I mean, after all, this, this person represents the United States, one of the greatest nations. Why is this person so fearful about proclaiming this message? Well, friends, which one of us does that not convict? Because we know that when we have tried to share the gospel in the past, we have at times given into fear, haven't we? When we should have spoken boldly, when we should have talked about God clearly, instead we gave into fear because Satan was at work seeking to intimidate us. Instead, when we're tempted to be afraid and just listen, just listen, you will be. Probably my life, it's never happened that I wasn't. And you will be tempted to be afraid. In that moment, remember whom you represent. Remember whose message it is that you're speaking for King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And seek him for grace to proclaim the gospel boldly. And may God help us do that. So in our evangelism, we see that we are ambassadors for Christ. More briefly now, a third truth. In our evangelism, we must be willing to suffer. Look at what Paul says in the middle of verse 20. He says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now, if you know the Bible, if you've read through the New Testament, particularly the book of 2 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul's ministry of sharing the gospel was one of suffering. Town after town, he was persecuted for preaching Christ. We see this in verse 20 as well. Now, remember where Paul was when he's writing this letter. Right? He's in prison. He's in prison for some time. Why? Because of his faithful proclamation of Jesus. He's waiting to appear before Nero. And Nero had the authority to end his life with a word. And what we need to remember, brothers and sisters, is that being faithful in evangelism will lead to suffering in our lives as well. No, we won't escape that. This is a spiritual war, right? And the gospel is like a, it's like a sword that God uses to miraculously pierce the heart of the other person and to give them spiritual life, and Satan hates it, and he will oppose it. And one of the ways that he opposes the faithful proclamation of the gospel is by stirring up opposition and suffering. So just think, you know, being mocked is a form of suffering, right? Losing a friendship that you value, that's a form of suffering, Losing out on promotions at work, you know, that's a form of suffering that can happen if you're faithful to share the gospel in the workplace. Losing your job is a form of suffering. Many have who were seeking to be faithful. Losing our freedom, as Paul did, it's a form of suffering. We haven't experienced too much of that yet in our nation. Perhaps we will in the future, we're not sure. But it certainly is being experienced today by brothers and sisters around the world. Losing our lives, as Paul ultimately would, well, that's a form of suffering as well. So we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes along if we're seeking to faithfully share the gospel. We should expect it. We should expect it. We need to acknowledge this fact, but here's the thing. We can't be afraid. Listen, fear is not a legitimate reason to not share the gospel. At its heart, what is fear? 
fear is rooted ultimately in self-preservation, isn't it? I'm afraid, I'm kind of focused on preserving myself, but we have been called not to be afraid over and over and over. Instead, we've been called to love. And what does love demand? Love demands that we would lay our lives down for the good of others. That we would pour ourselves out for the good of others, even at great cost, just as Jesus did, just as Paul did. And so in our evangelism, we must be willing to suffer. And then finally, look at the end of verse 20. Very briefly, a fourth truth. In our evangelism, we must be bold. That's how Paul ends this section. That I may declare it boldly, which is how I ought to speak. Now, we've already talked about this need for boldness, but do you notice that Paul brings it up more than once? It must have been on his heart, thinking about this need that he had to be bold. For a second time in two verses, he's talking about this idea of boldness, and it makes sense. Why? Because it is a war, and it takes courage to fight, doesn't it? It takes courage to be faithful. Paul knew this, so he emphasized it. He asked the Ephesians to remember to pray for him so that he would be bold, so he would proclaim the message that had been entrusted to him boldly as Christ's ambassador. Why? Because that's how he should speak. And brothers and sisters, the application is straightforward for us, right? Because we have been given the exact same task to boldly proclaim the gospel Right? We need to be bold in that. We live in an incredibly intolerant culture, don't we? The tolerance police will punish you if you speak in politically incorrect ways. You will be canceled in social media, which might not be a bad thing. You will probably be canceled on the college campus if you're faithful in that way. You may even be canceled in your office but here's the thing, the message we've been given is not a politically correct message. It's a message that declares that all are sinners and separated from God, and all must turn away from their sins, even the sins that are so popular, even the sins that the Hollywood stars and politicians promote so strongly, and they must trust in Christ alone or be lost forever. Do you understand, friend, that we're talking about eternity, that we're not just talking about missing out on a happy life, we're talking about endless eons of separation from God forever and ever, facing his wrath for your rebellion and resistance against him. And we're talking about this. We're talking about God who is so loving and gracious that even now he offers you eternal life, endless joy at his right hand forever and ever and ever. And he has done everything that's necessary Turn from your sin and trust in him and have life. Friends, it requires boldness for us to proclaim the gospel. And God is able to give us boldness. And so we got to seek him for boldness that he would help us do that. What does it look like to declare the gospel boldly? Well, it doesn't look like being belligerent, aggressive, angry. Satan loves angry Christians. He loves that not our task. It doesn't look like being rude. It doesn't look like just, you know, I'm going to spew these gospel words at you no matter what, you know, because I feel like I'm a bad Christian if I don't tell you this message. It's not that. It does mean speaking openly and clearly. Listen to how Paul put this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience 
in the sight of God, and that's what boldness looks like. It looks like an open statement of the truth, said in love, but leaving the consequences with God. So we've seen a lot now, right? Verse 19 and 20, we've learned these four truths about evangelism. In our evangelism, we should be dependent upon God. In our evangelism, we are ambassadors of Christ. In our evangelism, we must be willing to suffer. And in our evangelism, we should be bold. But let's just conclude the sermon this morning with one question. How did Paul do? He's asking for prayer. How did he do? Was he faithful? Well, Luke tells us about this in the end of the book of Acts Luke says this, Acts 28, verses 30 to 31. He, that's Paul, lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So how did Paul do? Well, by God's grace, for two years he ministered faithfully and he preached the gospel boldly just as he had asked the Ephesian believers to pray that he would. God had heard their prayers. And here's the good news for us as we conclude the sermon this morning. As we pray for faithfulness and boldness in evangelism, God will hear our prayers as well. And he'll help us. And all glory belongs to him. So let's, let's pray. Lord God, we praise you because you have entrusted us with this, this precious treasure of truth that makes sense of a world that makes no sense. Lord, it tells us why we're here. It tells us who you are. It tells us who we are apart from you, but who we can be in Christ. It tells us of your grace and your love, that you're a merciful king who loved us enough to send your son that we would die. Lord God, who came so that we could be forgiven. We praise you for these things. Lord, we praise you that you have given us this gospel, that we can proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus to others. And that you use your gospel. The, the word never returns to you void. Help us to be a people of faith who proclaim the gospel knowing that it never returns void. And we pray that it would mark us increasingly in coming days and years. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we get to conclude our time together this morning thinking about the gospel by proclaiming the gospel in another way which is what we do when we take communion. And it's been far too long since we've been able to take communion together as a church, but hopefully you've all received uh, one of these. And if not, if you need one, we have uh, some folks that will come around. If you need one, please raise your hand and someone will bring that over to you. Uh, and so just kind of keep your hand up so they know where you are and they will pass that around. Now, these are complicated and tricky things, so please take your time as you... Try to figure out how to open them, but, you know, they are individually wrapped, so that's nice. And I may not be able to do this. It's two layers. I got it right the first service. Ah, here we go. All right, now I'm ready. Hopefully you're ready as well. Let me read. Yes. I'm afraid these are not gluten-free. That's a really good question. We'll work on that. We have some more in the back that need it. And as they are continuing to, as they're continuing to pass that around, we'll work on a gluten-free solution for next month, Lord willing. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, words of institution for this. This is how Paul tells us about the Lord's Supper. This is... 
great passage for us to meditate on. This is what Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup